0: Hi, y'all, and welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. For today's episode, I'll be talking to two folks, Angela Bartone and Haley Ann, from the Living Melody Collective in Atlanta. There are five women in the collective. Jessica Caldas, Angela Davis Johnson, and Danielle Deadweiler are the other three. As Caldas states, on her website, the collective is creating artistic interventions that focus on civic engagement, awareness, and community impact. Making art with an impact is something that I would say most artists aspire to do. Maybe not always a political impact, but some sort of impact. I was recently involved in an online discussion on Burnaway's Instagram page that addressed this very topic. Robert Grand of Kimberly Clark in Queens had written a letter to the editor titled In Defense of Subtlety that was a response to a review by Sarah Estes of Jody Hayes' work in Nashville. You should maybe pause this right now, go read both of those things, and then come back. Did you do it? No. Well, okay, you're driving or whatever, and you can't read right now, but put it on your list because it's a discussion that's about something that you've surely put some thought into if you're an artist. Both of their pieces bring up some great points, and they back them up with a whole lot of details, but I'm going to reduce them here to the points that stood out to me. Estes questions the ability of abstraction to address urgent political matters and basically equates it to escapism. Grand counters that in his letter to the editor, saying that abstraction by blurring reality actually allows us to connect with subjects on a, shall we say, grander scale. <laughs> we don't, in other words, we don't need specifics to tap into emotion and connect to work on a deep level. I've talked about the importance of narrative in my own work a few times on the podcast. I specifically remember discussing it uh, with Amelia Briggs in episode 11. But my own conflict and questioning along these lines really came to a head when I was living in New York, making my way through my thesis show of paintings of big-headed bridesmaids when the World Trade Center was destroyed. At that point, every artist I knew went through this crisis with me. Why were we even making art? How stupid were our little art concerns in that time, surrounded by mass death and really a sudden loss of faith in humanity, really? And even if I could justify art making in general at that point, could I really justify making silly figurative paintings that were about women's issues that my professor, wrongly, I decided later after many years of tormented internal debate, claim that we had already figured out in the 70s. It was the extremity of that crisis that allowed me to so firmly convince myself that art, all art, whether completely abstract and apolitical or overtly related to a specific cause, all of it was necessary. I remember hearing something that Elizabeth Murray said. It was along the lines of, That for her, the very act of being an artist was a political act. That really resonated with me. It still does. And it still gives me comfort in times when I start to question why I'm art making. Recently, a student told me that she felt guilty creating art when her parents had had to work so hard just to make ends meet. Shouldn't she be doing something more important or at least making more money after all they'd invested in her? I've had these same sorts of thoughts on many occasions, especially in my youth, and I shared with her a quote, not from an artist, but from one of our founding fathers, John Adams. He wrote this in a personal letter to his wife. I must study politics and war, that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, and naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture, in order to give their children A right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Okay, so clearly I disagree with the our sons part. But other than that, essentially, as my partner B says, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's what I get out of that quote. Maybe more accurately, I can walk while you chew gum. Just because somebody is making war and that's super important doesn't mean that you shouldn't be writing poetry or making completely abstract art. We're all working together in our own ways. And the way I see it, each of us is working within our own framework of hopefully generational progress. And speaking of working together, let's get back to the Living Melody Collective. They are all artists making their own work that varies in style and content, but together they've made a focused effort to be involved in politics and to make a stand for causes they believe in. I sat down with Angela Bartone and Haley Ann in one of their homes very near the King Center, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born and where many important civil rights documents are now housed in the King Center Library and Archives. We discussed how the Living Melody Collective came together, some projects they've worked on, and their goals as a group. Check it out. We're ready. Okay. Cool. Totally ready. So First of all, like, I've met you guys both
1: before, is that right? Mm -hmm. Have I met you both? Where have I met you before? Mammal? Okay,
0: okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. A long time ago. A long time ago. Like, probably 2016. Maybe 15. Maybe 15. There was a group show at Mammal where you had a piece. Okay. um, King of the Mountain, something like that. Uh, It was embroidered.
2: It was an embroidered painting, and you were just in love with it. I was in love with it. I think it
0: was a self-portrait. It was like a big pink triangle thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was a (laughs) self-portrait
0: of me being an anxious mess in an abstract way.
1: That was the the piece that was there. There you go. That's why I loved it. Uh, (laughs) Totally relate. Um, Did Katie curate that show? Katie Trashy? Yes, she did. Yes. Yes. So that's where we first met because we um, did an art burn about that show. And I think we might have put... I think we did. Yes,
2: we put that show in it. I think we actually put that specific piece in it. Art burn was this short-lived project that we did for Burnaway where we would go to events over the weekend and do like a short... Not write-up, but a short recap of all the places that we went with, like, little quips and quotes, and Burton Away would publish that. We did about six or seven of those. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
1: think that the current iteration is Terry on the Town. Right. So if you can imagine Terry on the Town before Terry did those, um, it was very much like that. Just um, us trying to go to as many shows as possible and get um, a very, like, thin layer of coverage for each For each of these shows that would have otherwise not have ever gotten reviewed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was like one of our first uh, collaborations. And that was just the two of you.
0: Mm -hmm. And so how
2: did you guys first meet? Twitter. Twitter. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. uh... (laughs) So um, Angela was in this show at a now closed um, like boutique in Inman Park I forget what it was named. It was called Picola? Picola, yes. Mm -hmm. And her work was there, and I really liked it, and I posted about it on Instagram and Twitter, and so she followed me. And then, you know, we'd start tweeting back and forth about, like, Game of Thrones and stuff. (laughs) Finally, she had me on Facebook, and one day I was like, hey, I'm going to this show at the Zuckerman. You want to go? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and it was, like, love at first sight. Yes. Um it was and we just like <laughs> started going to shows with each other every weekend and which turned into we have a lot of ideas that we should talk about and then it turned into doing ladies first which was a um a primarily all-female identifying show of performance artists at the now closed downtown players club okay and we did like all of that within our first year of friendship. So, so when was this Twitter love affair taking place? What year was that? Like twenty. Yeah, it like was 2014 two, 2015. Okay.
1: It was yeah, it was two thousand fifteen because in two thousand fourteen, I worked in my father's restaurant, which was like um, indentured servitude. Uh, <laughs> basically, I worked like sixty hours a week there, and um, I did that for about three or four years um, till I was like all right, I'm done. Uh, I've served my time at the restaurant. I was uh, told I needed to work for about three years, um, and um, I quit, and then I was like, I'm gonna go back into like my first passion, which is art, you know, which is what I went to school for, which is what I did before, which what I was doing before I started working at the restaurant, and basically went to school, started working at the restaurant, and then like 2015 happened.
2: And where did you go to school? Um, Georgia State University. And what about you? So I'm from New York. Okay. Um, I grew up in New York and New Jersey, and I went to Montclair State University mm-hmm. in New Jersey. I went to school in New York, so I'm vaguely familiar. <laughs> with Where Where'd you go? Pratt. Oh well. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: I am not surprised. <laughs> You're amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, um, yeah, I'm still. I will be paying for that degree into when I'm dead. Maybe. I don't know. I think student loans go away when you die. That's Mm -hmm. horrifying. Um, That's why I decided to go to a state school and not SVA. (laughs) Yeah. I went to UGA undergrad, Mm -hmm. and I have no loans from that, but I will be paying for that Pratt degree for the rest of my life. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it was worth it for me. Does it get your foot in the door places? It does. It doesn't as much down here because people just don't really know, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. what it is what it stands for, I have to, like, get all braggy and be like, it's like Yale. Oh, no, no, that's a big deal. I don't know
2: how people don't realize
0: that. Sometimes they don't, even people in art, you know, so, like, uh, I'll I'll have to say, you know, it's, it's like a real legit degree. It's like going to Yale, you know, and then I feel stupid and braggy, but I'm like, but I also paid $50,000 for that degree, so I will get braggy about it, like.
2: (laughs) Um, You should. You absolutely should. Yeah. When I realized that Yale was not as was not the most expensive program to apply to, I was shocked. What is the most Columbia. Is, okay. Columbia is oh, so program. beautiful there. Yeah. But I it's, it's just not possible. Co- Yale's 60,000, Columbia's at over 100,000 for their MFA program. Yikes. Georgia State is free. <laughs> Georgia State's a great program.
0: Wait, are you getting a degree now?
2: No, but it's uh, it's on my trajectory. Okay,
0: okay. So both of you guys have undergrad mm-hmm. degrees, yes. and I say okay, I totally sidetracked you from your discussion. So you I mean, have, I
1: think it's relevant.
0: Yeah, but I was wondering. I'm just curious, like, um, in the whole collective, really, like, where you guys are coming from? If you're all Atlanta, so were you
1: raised in Atlanta? I was not. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> uh, my mother is dominican and my father's okay. italian uh i was born in the dominican republic and um you know we moved to new york when i was a year old uh, we were there until i was six because my dad was at fort hamilton um because he worked in the army band and so then we moved to germany an um, army band yes he That's plays very interesting he plays the euphonium I
2: don't even know what that is. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's as
1: ridiculous as it sounds. Okay. It sounds like a flugelhorn. Um, it is like a baritone um, in size. It's bigger than a baritone, so between a baritone and a tuba. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly large brass instrument. Um, there's only, like, two of them in, in a brass band, so um, it's not this is a very specific career (laughs) (laughs) yes uh so strange my parents have uh extremely strange um stories because you know my dad grew up in sassano salerno um with this like the very bottom bottom boot of italy like Mm -hmm. right there kind of by the instep, um and that town is like i don't know 500 people it's a very small town, maybe it's more than that, but it's definitely not a very large town. Have you been back there? Yeah, I've been there um, at least three times. Yeah. And um, he like grew up, he was in the band there, and then he managed to move to New York when he was 15, and then uh, graduated high school in like two years, um, went to college, and then he joined the Army Band.
2: Okay. And <laughs> so and then so after New York she was primarily in Germany.
1: Yeah. So we were in Germany. So how many languages do you speak? I speak two. I speak Spanglish and English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no Italian, huh? He never I, the only Italian word I know is like um it's like go to hell, like okay. it, <laughs> I,
2: uh, yeah, he did. Which is just go to hell with that heavily Italian accent. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, so Angela, she, she grew up in Germany and then she came here, what, like right before high school? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I went to, I came here in 2002, which was just in time to
2: go to high school in McDonough. So, that's Angela. Jessica was born and raised in Atlanta. Okay, so um, let's list the other
0: three members that are not okay. here. Okay,
2: so it's myself, Haley, Angela Bortone, uh, Jessica Caldas, Danielle Deadweiler, and Angela Davis Johnson.
0: Okay, and Jessica was from where were you?
2: Jessica from? was born and raised in Atlanta. Okay. So was Danielle. Okay. So those are our two, you know, hometown girls. Um Angela Davis-Johnson was also you know, a child of an Army family, I believe, and she's primarily from Arkansas, okay. but she's lived all over. She's only been in Atlanta for a handful of years. Um, she has spent a lot of time all over the Southeast, from what I know. And then I'm from New York and New Jersey, and I moved here five years ago and it was honestly through this connection on twitter that all of us started meeting and working together because um so like we were working together and i met jess at a burnaway party and i said hey i don't know anybody in town you look cool do you want to be my friend to go out for coffee because when you're an adult and you move to a new place it's hard to make friends right. that's literally how i started to try and make friends so that's how i met jessica Jessica asked myself, Danielle, and Angela to work in her project Three Every Day. I got Angela Bortone looped into that. And that's how we all kind of met. And we realized that um, we were working so closely together on different projects and just kept bumping into each other. So I want to talk to you about this Three Every Day a little
0: bit more before we get into that, though. So what are all of you guys' mediums, your main mediums that
2: you work in? So Danielle is... Gosh, Danielle is primarily an actor and a performance artist, but she's also an incredibly talented writer, and she makes these selfie drawings right now that are out of this world. Um, Angela Bortone. And Danielle just
0: won the, uh, is an Artadia finalist. Yes, she is.
2: Oh my gosh, (laughs) it's so exciting. And I like those people a lot. Those are good people. Good. Um. Jessica is a painter and a printmaker and a performance artist, and she's a TCP fellow, the Creatives Project fellow right now. Um, Angela Davis Johnson is primarily a painter, and she is a garden fellow with Tila Studios right now, so she's going to Art Basel with Mm -hmm. Tila Studios. Nice. Um, Angela Bortone. I'm a painter. Yeah, painting. um, Words.
1: Video art. We're mostly painting. So a
0: lot. So you guys were all doing this uh three every day? Is that what it was called? Yeah. It was a performance. That's that's kind of the first thing you guys all came
2: together, but it wasn't you weren't calling yourselves a collective at that point. No. So this was primarily Jessica's project. And it still is. It's still under like the hierarchy of Jessica's work. Um but the more the, the, as the years went by, she started incorporating our thoughts and our um, our collaboration more. But the first year, this was like her brand new project. It's called Three Every Day. It's based on the statistic of three women die every day from domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so every day during the month of October, she does a performance with three women, in honor these of these lives. I think the first year
1: there was about fifty people involved, and then the second year it was less, um, and then the third year it was just us.
0: Okay, and so I, I you know, I use Instagram for all my research, <laughs> and uh, I read on there that the project was addressing barriers that women face, including black womanhood, immigration, motherhood, criminal justice injustice, and I was wondering like. Um, so this is her project or were those kind of her parameters or she was just, is that kind of a more how it evolved? Cause you were saying it was more about
1: yeah. Violence. So, um, by the third year with it just being us, I think each one of us brought our own experience, um, and just sort of our personal connection to it. Um, and so that's where, <clears throat> um, you know, for example, uh, Angela Davis Johnson and Daniel Deadweiler, they brought more of that um, African American experience, um, and and um, I did some of my performances in like Spanish. Okay. Um, and I'm curious about the motherhood component. So I'm a
0: mom of two, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, I when I read that, like I look back at, I think this is like the 21st or the 22nd episode of this, and I've only talked out of those 20 people, only four of them. Are mothers and only two of them were actually creating art while they had kids at home, the other mm. two went into art careers after. Yeah, um, so what's up with the motherhood
1: in you guys? Are you well, that's that,
2: a big component that, uh, of how the
1: group is. That three every day, Um, Jessica actually did that whole month pregnant. Like, well, she
2: was how many months pregnant? She was very pregnant, she um, was, um, so she gave birth in December, she was seven seven to eight months pregnant yeah with her first child
1: which i don't know how she had the energy to do that
2: it's jessica um she has energy i
1: really don't know because when i was pregnant i just took naps yeah (laughs) Uh, i took like you know it was like a full year of naps um (laughs) yeah i think that um so your mom jessica's a mom Angela's the mom, Okay. and Daniel's the
0: mom. Oh, everybody but you. I have cats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the auntie. So, yeah, that is a challenge, and I was curious how that plays into you guys' work as a collective. Are, are there kids around? It's, a, the, it's, it
2: is, it's, it's an integral part of okay. our collective because not only do we make work together, but we share space, and, we, and it's nice to make work with other mothers, because you know you can bring your children and someone yes. will be there to watch them.
0: And there's not going to be judgment, which I'm always worried about. I didn't, I don't even post, for a long time I posted no reference to my children at all on my Instagram page. Like, yeah. Like, I was worried that people wouldn't take me seriously as an artist.
1: Or the other worry, which is the worry that you won't get work because they'll assume that you're busy mothering your children. Right. Yeah. Which is why I there are no pictures of me on the internet while I was pregnant because I was just like I first of all I didn't have the energy because I was busy taking naps right <laughs> um, and then second of all I, I made a very conscious decision to not um, publicly like perform my pregnancy so um, and you know that's just a personal decision I made. Um, Yeah, yeah. it's really challenging. Like, I took
0: basically seven years off, even though I am that person that is very energetic. Um, I also was taking naps, and, you Mm. know, it's just, I felt like I was on house arrest for the first several years. I have two kids, and, like, not, it was, like, from the time my first was born until the time the second turned four, uh, it was really hard. Yeah. As you know, to do anything
1: Else. You you just can't you can't like make work while your children are around you because they are otherwise like demanding your attention yeah um, and demanding that um, you pay attention to them or they will do something very reckless because yeah. they're children <laughs> you know like try to climb on your desk you yeah. have any advice for mothers making work out there
2: have friends that are also mothers have. Um, have your, have your parents help you a lot? Yeah. If you have the resources to let people help you, let people help you. Like when we were doing the bus, I think, because um, I'm not a painter. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a photographer and a performance artist. And I think at least half of what I was doing during the bus was just watching kids, which is fine. That's what the collective is there for. Right. You know, but and if you wanted to bring your child that's not an issue yeah
0: the collective seems like it's really supportive in that way like it's super helpful if you're a mom to have a group that you can kind of count on for that I did not have that when my
2: kids were really young and it was just I was just so isolated it's actually if you ask Jessica about this it's like one of the points that makes her cry we realize that what we have is is non-typical yes to have like a group of women artists that also come from shared experiences and shared motherhood that can have space together comfortably like whenever Jessica talks about this she starts to cry it's really adorable
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um and we don't take that for granted yeah
1: that was one thing that was really interesting to me about this collective. So yeah, I think also the other thing that I would say is so major to working together with other artists is that you're constantly inspired by your your, your other artists, and um, you know you you can be a cheerleader for them, um, and they can be a cheerleader for you, and it that shared energy helps
2: really um, keep you going in those times that are difficult. We are literally each other's biggest fans. Like our group texts half the time is just us gassing each other up. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome though. I mean, you need that.
0: And it's, I think it's a really nice kind of change to see a lot of women supporting each other instead of being super competitive with each other, which is just not helpful, you know, in the the long run. So you guys started with this um, three everyday kind of performance. and then what was the next major project you did? The mural?
1: Um,
2: so it was three every day. Um, we did ladies first, which included most of the members of the collective. We did three every day. And then we kind of just started doing little projects together. Angela and I um, did a, like a little residency project last year called Into the Wilderness. Jessica and I did a voter engagement project called Gold Smack last November and then we all kind of just came together last December and said, here's this call for a mural with uh-huh. the Center for Civil and Human Rights, let's apply together and then that's literally when we decided to name ourselves as a collective. Okay. So the mural for Center for Civil and Human Rights is the first thing that we did with the name. Okay. So you did that mainly because you're like, we have
0: to fill out this application. Yes. Um, And Where did you come up with the name Living Melody?
2: Um,
1: The name was adapted by, from something that just posted in the chat. It was a page out of a book. um, And I I can't remember what exactly it was, but it it was something like, um, it was a... It was a story from a Native American perspective, um, and the page talked about how, um, there were, like, animals (laughs) living in her hair. What was that? I keep talking. It's a cat. I think that was a cat. (laughs) Okay. Um, There was, like, animals living in her hair, um, and I, I can't remember, I have, I haven't been able to, like, go back and find the page, but it was something, it had something like living something, and um, the first whatever it was um, got changed to Living Melody um, and <laughs> <laughs> we have one cat in time out now <laughs> um, uh, so it was it was just um, I don't know it's just a it's just like, I, all
2: I know is that you came up with it I didn't know there was a story behind it there <laughs> No, actually, you added the melody
1: part. I think it was like "Living Song" or something. That's like right. That. It living was
2: something song. like that. <clears throat> um, the name was also a collaborative effort. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we um, we we named ourselves in that application, and then in January, I got to work one day and was like, "Y'all, we got it." We were not expecting to get it. <laughs> so that was at the Center for Civil and Human Rights, and it was.
0: Did
1: you have a design before you submitted the application? Um, what we had is uh, from the Gold Smack show. We had <laughs> um, these sculptural pieces from every district in Atlanta, and
2: so, so- the Gold
0: Smack was about voter registration
1: uh-huh.
2: in and- Atlanta and- only. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this was a show. Um, in direct conversation with the city of Atlanta that okay. we had put together before the election. Because, mm-hmm. you know, last year, every city council seat was up. We had the mayoral race. And Jessica and I really wanted to encourage people to be involved in this local election because it's the biggest one that Atlanta has seen in a long time. You know, we were going to have a switch of power that affects arts directly. It affects everybody directly that right. lives here. So we invited literally every single person that was on a ballot ticket to come to the opening night of the show to interact with their possible future constituents. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was portraits and
1: information, and it was basically a way for people to go and like do their research before they actually voted. Um, and where was that held up? Drum. Okay. Love I Drum. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you you did that and then you... so we had these um sculptural pieces okay. each one in the shape of a district of Atlanta um, okay. and for the show they had been like assembled into, what were they made out of um, they were made out of um, like insulation foam core okay. and um, paper and paper mache over that and so um, for the what we proposed is that we would use those um, districts of Atlanta and we would examine, um, Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy, um, and his work with the, um, in his later years with, um, human rights, um, so like issues of homelessness, um, issues of housing and, um, you know, the whole, uh, affordable housing crisis that we have going on right now, right in the heart of, um, where, you. You know, Dr. King used to live, you know, all right. the fourth ward and stuff like that. And so we, we were thinking, well, you know, we'll look to the past to kind of see our future and, and to see if that, if we can, you know, um, kind of like in a, in, in a like expanded, like deconstructed um, mural like put together a bunch of different elements of Atlanta. Um so we had all the districts, then we had photographs from each um district, and then we had um all different types of housing that you can find in Atlanta. So like condos with single family homes with Peachtree Pines, um, with you know shotgun, shotgun houses. houses. And um and then on top of that, you know, is like this just um layered district maps so where You can see on district maps, like, they raid each houses.
2: Yeah, so a big part of this this mural that we decided to call out was redlining. Mm -hmm. And so the city of Atlanta has maps for every district, and even more than that, every area of every district. And they categorize land by color, Mm -hmm. um, which is not uncommon for areas that are often... um, trying to segregate without using the word segregation right so you know areas would be delineated in green if they were considered good yellow if it was fair um black if it was unusable red if it was poor Mm -hmm. and so we took those district maps and we also incorporated it into the mural Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and so this is so what angela is saying that that all ended up being in the mural in the final product but also um something i wanted to add about that is the mural became this like kind of home-based project in what we were talking about before where everyone could kind of come and go work on the project but also bring their kids mm-hmm. and feel this sense of community and just not have to worry about that aspect of childcare. So did anybody not in the collective work on the mural with you guys or was it
0: just...
1: The five of you. No, it was the five of us. Uh, We did have a lot of support from Krista Jones, Mm -hmm. um, who came and uh, she gave Angela a lot of rides Mm -hmm. because Angela doesn't have a car, and she also uh, helped watch Angela's children. Um, So I I do want to say -hmm. that she didn't like work on the mural per se, but um, her support was invaluable.
0: So you mentioned this whole process of everything that was in the mural, but how much of that did you have figured out in advance when you... Did, I, I'm just wondering, curious, for like the purpose of submitting the application, mm-hmm. how far had you gotten into that?
2: Because um, I, I don't think we even You just described
0: it. kind of a general, what you were going to do. And yes. Then who, so did you all sit down together and kind of visually put all of these things into it, or did you pass it back and forth? I'm just curious about the design
1: process, working with more than one person. Yeah, um, so... Basically, what we proposed was very close to like what we ended up um, creating, but it was just the ideas. So it was the ideas of redlining, the ideas of having, um, you know, the the districts, and then also showing the different types of houses. Um, and we didn't have a design, um, and I I think that Jess at some point came up with the sketch, but the sketch probably had nothing to do with like what we actually ended up creating. Um, it was very um, collaborative on the site, like uh, you know, you know, you make the decisions when you're there. Right? Okay, so
0: you didn't really come like you know you might know I just finished a mural mm-hmm. and I had the whole design like gritted out. Yeah. So you guys did not do it that way at all. You were like on the site. Um, checking your visuals while you're standing in front of it and kind of yeah.
1: continually creating. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. interesting. For the purposes of, of that mural. That's how we, how we did it. Um,
0: the bus and- was different. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's, uh, let's... Is there something else I wanted to ask you about that? Is that mural inside...
1: Mm, it, it's an indoor mural. It was um, shown at the Center for Civil and Human Rights for, think about a month, mm-hmm. um, and it's currently in storage right now. Okay, and so it's so, on panels or? Yes. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. We would cool. love for it to have a home. Hmm. Please buy it. Okay. Or,
1: or we can show it somewhere. We're yes. we willing for it to travel as well.
2: Okay,
0: how
1: big is it in case anybody is listening to it's, this? Um, it's eight feet tall and hmm. it's 32 feet long. Okay, everyone, you hear
0: that. You need a 32-foot <laughs> mural. A beautiful
2: one, with (laughs) Martin
0: Luther King Jr. looking at you. (laughs) So the school bus, did that kind of lead into the bus project, or was there something else in between those?
2: No, in between, we we started coming together saying, what do we want to accomplish as a collective? What do we want to apply to? Um... Think the biggest thing we worked on after the mural was we did a um, application for living walls, mm-hmm. um, the living walls grant, and then the bus just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Liliana approached Jessica and said, "Hey, I'm buying a bus, and I want you guys to paint it."
1: So who is Liliana? Um, so Liliana Baxtyari <laughs> is the former um District Five candidate. Um, she. Did not win. She lost by 250 votes, okay. um, and which was, you know, honestly quite incredible for a first-time um, political candidate. If you talk to Liliana, she says, "If I had, um, if I had started my run a week earlier,
2: I would have won." <laughs> she was going up against a, a, a long-standing incumbent. Okay. Um, um, I think a 16-year incumbent. Wow. Well, yes. But overall, she's a community organizer. She's an activist. She does um, human human aid relief. She's done it all over the world. You know, her passion really is um, crisis relief. And she's, you know, because of the election last year, she is now fully entrenched in the political sphere. And so she wanted to do something for this election, so she bought a bus. So, like, did
0: she already have an idea she wanted to do something and then search out a bus or was she like so there's a bus what can
1: i do with that no no actually um in the primaries there was a deportation bus that ran um across the street and across the state and then broke down about four days later (laughs) um and she uh was inspired to buy a bus and make the like anti-deportation bus. So what was the, what was up with the deportation bus? Um, so that was a um, a hardliner, um, conservative...
2: Candidate. He, primary, did, he didn't even get on the ballot. Yeah, a
1: candidate who did not win
2: because his bus broke down. Um, and he basically <laughs> took a, a bus, it made was, it look like a prison bus, and was like, we're going to round up all the illegal... Was this yeah. in Atlanta? Yeah. This th- is all of Georgia. This
1: was, oh, okay. Yeah, this so, is one of our... our this what? was one of our candidates. He was going to citizen arrest
2: people. Like, what do you mean he that was going to round
1: up? Like, yeah. So the bus was—it's—it was a school bus, but it was painted army green, and on it it had stenciled the words "rounding up all illegals, like bad hombres and um, rapists and stuff like that." Oh my um, God. It, like, that's what it said. Um, and I saw it, and that you know, as someone who like, so it was just. Riding around Atlanta. and That was he, his
2: campaign. Yeah,
1: thing. yeah, yeah. That's madness. And um, Liliana is the, you know, the child of immigrants. Um, you <laughs> know, as a,
2: uh, I think it's... So She's she is a queer Muslim... Woman. Iranian, Azeri... Yes, Middle Eastern, I think is the catch-all term.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know... She felt, you know, personally targeted by this kind of, like, mm-hmm. stunt. Um, and so uh, I think, actually, that candidate ended up posting his bus on the Facebook marketplace. And um, her, <laughs> her partner was like, you should buy it. And she's like, I'm not going to buy his bus. But I am going to buy a bus. Oh man! And so. Why didn't she want to buy his bus? I guess it had already broken down. Well, I mean, didn't want to like give him any money, you know. Uh, and also, yeah, it had broken down. It was not a good
2: quality school bus. I do like that idea though of reappropriating it. <laughs> and so I don't know, now that we know what it takes to redo a bus, I'm glad we didn't have to. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> At least this one ran when you got it. Yeah. Um. So this one went great. Um.
1: Is it? I'm trying to remember how old it is. It's very old. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just recently decommissioned. Um, it's from. Um, it's at least a 20-year-old bus. It's from Whitfield Co- County. Mm-hmm. She bought it in Barrow County from this really progressive dude who, like, they ended up talking to for hours, um, and she, yeah, she wanted to use it for voter engagement in um, the midterms, but also, um, you know,
2: the next round of of. Uh, Pretty much it's her goal to use this bus to engage voters year round, you know, which kind of is on the nose right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've got this issue of voter suppression, but you also have the issue of people not thinking that their vote counts. Right. And they don't come out to vote. And it's her goal to reach out to those people in every corner of Georgia. And I think eventually the country and say, hey, no, your vote does matter. This is an important thing for you to do. So when did she reach out to you guys and say, I have this bus? August? It was
1: in the middle of August in which she was like, I have the bus. um, And we started planning to paint the bus. And so, you know, the bus is like designed to be like a voter inspiration machine. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, uh, yeah, we had to do a lot of research because I've never painted a bus before. Um, I've never painted a car before, and it's actually uh, not the sort of thing where you can just go out there with some house paint and, like, roll it on. Um, So we did a lot of – I did a lot of research. What kind of paint did you end up using? Um, I ended up using a water-based automotive-grade paint called Auto Air Colors. Hmm. Um, We – it was actually a very good choice because um, what you would typically paint a car or a bus in is, like, a urethane paint. Right. Um, or something like that, which is essentially like, uh, you have to use lacquer thinner or, you know, uh, mineral spirits to dissolve it. It's, Don't want your it's kids around incredibly it. gross. Yes. Um, it, if it gets in your hair, your hair is kind of like really gross for several weeks. Um, we did have to use a urethane for the clear and yeah, using the urethane, I was like, I'm so glad we went with. This other choice because we were able to like do a combination of spray and brushing it on after we contacted the manufacturer um, to see like what would be, you know, if we could brush it on because um, that it does save you a lot of time if you can use the um, application choice that you've been using for you know all of your life. But so I followed this this design process closely on
0: Instagram. You guys took a lot of pictures as, as you were doing this. Um, and when was the final date that you finished painting the bus it was fairly recently uh it was the 12th
1: of october the
0: 12th of october and then what was the first thing that you guys did with
2: the bus pride we did pride it was in the pride parade okay that was literally the day after we had just applied the final (laughs) code to it um park cannon contacted liliana and said hey i want to have this bus in the parade let's put all of our signs all over it and and I was like, yeah, sure. I was the only one of the collective that went, and it was wild. Mm-hmm. It was insanity.
0: So when you're taking this bus around, so it has different scenes from different parts of Georgia to try to represent the whole state. So yeah, so
2: when we were making the design for this, we thought, well, I think you had the idea to make the difference, uh, the history of voting, voting mm. applications in Georgia. But then we also thought, how do we represent our state and I came up with the idea of well, it should have a, all of our different landscapes because it's a big state with a lot of You know varied texture and so Angela used images that I've taken around the state as inspiration and kind of sketched out this design um, so you have like the beach Tybee Island you have pastoral scenes you have um, Like northern mountain um heavily wooded creek kind of right and then you have like the scene of atlanta
0: and so it says what does it say georgia for all on it georgia for all georgians georgia for all georgians and so i'm trying to imagine so at the pride parade what goes on with this do people get on the bus do you stop the bus do you like how how do you interact with people with the bus so
2: um i did not know this we were We were essentially, like, afloat in the parade, and I literally sat on top of that bus with Liliana and...
0: On top of the bus? So you were going very slowly.
2: Yes. Not as slow as you'd think. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we were yelling at people to go vote. Okay. People loved it. Um, Because, you know, it's a very, like, bright, cheery, positive bus. There's really nothing, like, negative about it, especially with all the color... And I think people were excited to see it. And also, people really love Liliana. Okay. So when you put those two like <laughs> visual connectors together, the, the LGBTQ community was very receptive to okay. it. And what was the next thing you did with the bus? After that, we did a week-long tour of the state of Georgia for different um, voting rallies. Uh, yeah. What yeah. would you call those what we did? We, made, um, we did, like, voter engagement rallies where we made yeah,
1: signs. we went to um, Macon, um, Albany, Columbus. Um,
2: and we did one in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, and one in Atlanta. Um, and it was in conjunction with uh, an organization called March on the Polls. Um, and we made uh, screen prints of the center of the, the main side of the bus, which says, um, voting is people power. And so um, we made screen prints of, of that, and um, people w- w- could take those signs and go to a March on the Polls march. Okay. Uh, so you
0: you guys actually have voter registration stuff with you when you were doing this, or were you? Well, it
1: was past voter registration. Okay.
2: Yeah. No, this was more of encouraging people to even go out and vote. Okay. Um, because people will register and still not go vote. Um, and we were specifically hoping to go to these, um, more rural and suburban areas of Georgia that aren't Atlanta, that don't get half as much attention as the Atlanta metro area does.
0: Right. And I noticed that, um, you know, we were supposed to meet earlier and you guys, and I wanted to see the bus. The bus is not here though, is it?
2: Bus is currently at the bakery. Yeah.
0: And, and the bakery opens at 12. So I was just like, maybe I can head over there or is it, it's, it's sitting in the parking lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe I can go take some pictures after this when my husband picks me up, we can go
2: peek at the bus. Mm -hmm.
0: But we were supposed to meet a little earlier and you guys were in Albany. Were
2: both of you in Albany? No, just Angela. I was an Albany.
1: And that was after the hurricane, right? Yes. Yeah, so, and so we also brought um, hurricane relief, and we could see some of the damage that the hurricane had done just to the um, the shopping plaza that we were there. They used to have a huge sign, and that sign was gone. Um, and then part of their, like, part of the marquee on one of the buildings was half gone as well. And just driving there, you could see all the trees that had been fallen. Um, and so one of the things that we did while we were there is we brought, um, you know, food and non-perishable supplies for um, the people to just take. That's cool. So I went to high school in Albany,
0: mm-hmm. Georgia. Oh, I don't know If okay. you guys knew I, that about I, me. I, Probably I, not. But um, what do you guys um, – so you said Danielle and who else are, like, from Atlanta? Is there any South Georgia connections fine. or, like – or you guys are just kind of checking it out? Like, do you have any family connections to
1: people in the rest of the state? I do not. No. So um, it was just like a
2: yeah. cold, my first time to many of these places. Really?
1: The only reason we uh, were even here in Georgia is because um, my dad was stationed at Fort McPherson before it was closed. So, okay. Um, and what brought you to Georgia?
2: Um, my mom moved here in 2011 for work. And when I finished school, I was like, I'm going to be in New York. I'm doing the New York thing. And I did not get the New York that my parents had. Um, yeah. So it was really expensive. And I made a lot of, you know, typical post-college decisions. And also then I, my, I got really physically ill because mm-hmm. um, I have several autoimmune diseases. So I thought, okay, let me try atlanta for real and i just ended up staying and loved it yeah so i hope you're in 2013 permanently okay so anything else about the bus that i should know is that pretty much what's happened with the bus so far we are still crowdfunding to support the bus and keep it on the road okay um so the fund is to support us as the artists and also to you know keep the wheels running and what's the bit.ly link uh the bit.ly is um bit.ly Slash
1: um, hope for GA. So that's um, hope spelled out, for spelled out, and then GA. Okay.
0: Um, So, do
2: you have any guys have any plans right now for the collective? Upcoming projects, other things that you're doing? Um, Well, we're all going to Art Basel next month, most of us. Um, You're making a face. Wow. Wow. That's that's,
0: like a big undertaking.
2: Well, so Jessica's going with GSU. Okay. And she invited us to come and perform with her for opening night. So you have some institutional support. She's got institutional support. (laughs) We're (laughs) along for the... Angela and I are along for the ride. And then Angela Davis Johnson is going to Basel with Tila Studios. So we all happen to be there. And I know we all plan on going, having a good time, and networking. Okay. That's exciting. I'm sure there will be social media coverage and I will... Oh,
1: trust, yeah. me, I will be all over that. <laughs> Social media coverage is a um, hallmark of Living Melody Collective mm-hmm. um, because uh, just being together is work. And so we we make sure that we make it work for us. It's well documented. Well, thanks so much for talking
0: to me today. This has been really exciting. Thank and you. I look forward to seeing uh, future endeavors of the collective. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks so much to Haley Ann and Angela Bartone for meeting with me early on a Saturday morning to talk about the Living Melody Collective and all of the important work that they're doing. They did hint to me that we will see some more collaborative work from them in the spring, so stay tuned to their Instagram or Facebook page to find out more about that. You can find links to the Living Melody Collective's pages and projects, all of their individual websites as well as links to other issues and entities that we discussed in today's episode, along with some images of their work, on the Peachy Keen page of my website at Vivian Liddell, that's VivianLiddell.com. If you'd like to support the podcast and encourage me to continue spending my non-existent spare time continuing to work on this endeavor, please leave a review on iTunes or go to our Patreon page to make a financial contribution. For our next episode, we'll be talking to Atlanta artist Sonia Yong-James. Until then, thanks for listening, and I hope your days are peachy keen.